Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the bon viveur, homemaker, <laughs> actor, performer, writer, broadcaster and national... Municipal, <laughs> municipal treasure. <laughs> municipal treasure, Margaret Caborn smith Thank you very much. I mean, I'm not a homemaker. <laughs> you should see my home. <laughs> we were just talking about what a lovely phrase homemaker is. Yeah. It implies you've got a hod and some bricks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we just at that, probably. How do you get introduced? Writer and broadcaster, I always thought, is the ultimate thing to go for because it implies you're David Attenborough. Yes, exactly. Just constantly broadcasting. I like <laughs> yeah. that as a... Shouting. As it's a lovely notion, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah. broadcaster. Yeah, because it's, it, it's really vague. It just means everything you do is recorded. Does anyone identify as a broadcaster now? I or suppose... What, apart from... Maybe we all Dimblebees. Are. Yes, I suppose yeah, you need yeah. to be a dimblebee. But I think now what's happened because of social media, we are all broadcasters which is why it's such hard work every time someone dies you think oh i should i should broadcast my opinions on it <laughs> no you're, you're you not shouldn't. you're not you're not the prime minister you could probably just shut up Doesn't when really uh, when chris morris put his own obituary in the guardian he described himself <laughs> as a broadcaster did he yeah it was just after brass eye had been knifed by michael grade so chris posted his own obituary in the guardian <laughs> I can't believe I didn't know about that. That's beautifully thin-skinned and sort of cocky at the same time. (laughs) What a fusion. There was a a great joke in Lazy Susan, um, the show you saw, where where Celeste says, I had a a funeral for my ego. Um, Very well attended. (laughs) (laughs) 
that had the best that had the best intro of anything I saw up in Edinburgh this year. They came on stage and went, "Good evening, ladies and predators." <laughs> and what was great is watching yeah. all the men close their legs and feel. <laughs> yes. Should should we leave? Should we leave? Yeah, it was great, brilliant. Really brilliant. Show. brilliant. <laughs> Instant bull shrivel. That's what you want. <laughs> what I want come to the right place well I listen I definitely am just going to sit and quote bits of this and giggle till the end today because I <laughs> fucking adore the thing you have brought in for us to look at it, is, it was it made such a colossal impression on me mm-hmm. when it was broadcast and I've watched it so many times that I think I can quote probably every single sketch yeah and it's weird I almost feel like should I say what it is yes, <laughs> yes. I, reveal I, identify it's yourself to the reveal. <laughs> it's a bit of Fry and Laurie ah um, um, uh, um, um, I know it so well, second and third series particularly, that I, I almost feel I watched, I re watched. Five episodes, I think, before coming, which was a real trial for oh, me. Yeah. Awful. Um, and I almost, it's almost beyond criticism for mm. me. I don't even know how much I can talk about it because. Did you find, what I found, I which is, I, I, I turned off so much. watching it. Mm. in the worst way I went oh gotta pay attention I watched some more yeah. and found myself drifting off because I know the rhythms of it so well Yes, that I thought oh god and I, I, I can't just watch it with unalloyed love I no, meant, no, I but, meant to understand this and I, but I do wonder if um, if we'd seen it when we were older whether it would have been different or even seen it when we were younger it would have been different because yeah. for me anyway and I'm, I'm obviously a bit younger than you guys but yeah. it was so formative for me, mm. it felt like it was actually part of my identity. Identity, you know, it got, it got, it was so important that I almost feel if I'd seen it as an adult, I might have an entirely different take. I'm sure I would still love it, but would I have? Well, I wouldn't have cut Hugh Laurie's name out of the Radio Times, <laughs> coated it in sellotape, and worn it on my ring finger for a year. What? Yes, I really, really what? did. Yeah. I wouldn't have written him ten letters. <laughs> I mean, after the fourth one, he sent me a cease and desist letter. Did but, <laughs> but by that time, I'd already written and sent the other six. <laughs> so I felt it wasn't cease and desist. It was a very, very nice letter, which was clearly. Oh, he That's said, "I'm so now. yeah, I'm yeah. so sorry that it took four letters for me to write back." thank you for watching, essentially. You know, it it was a bit funnier than that, but it did. It was good for me because it made me go, oh, I'm not going to have a relationship with him. I didn't even want a sexual relationship with him. I just sort of wanted... Just wanted to know him. Yes, exactly. Just be with him. Have you met him? I met him... Yeah, I think I met him on my 15th birthday. Oh, wow. Was it a present? (laughs) Sort of, yeah. I went to see Gasping. I went to see the Ben Elton play that he starred in. And he came out and signed my programme afterwards. And my friends stood round. And afterwards they said, we've never seen you silent, Margaret. <laughs> because I was just... And honestly, uh, a few hours later, on a zebra crossing, my knees buckled. And uh, I, fe- really? I honestly fell to the, the ground. Oh, in a, wow. I know. Very, very James Brown. <laughs> very dramatic. Um, but it was, it was that huge. And I can still, if I make an effort, I can still remember those feelings, you know, in my my body. So mm. how old were you when you saw Fry and Laurie? Well, it started when I was 13. So that this was is, when... This is a Beatlemaniac relationship. Absolutely, and it's, but it's hard to do with, with, with comedy, you know. It's, uh, there's no... 
well they didn't do anything live yeah. but you know there's a, it's a real tragedy no, that they true. stopped touring before their tv show yeah. basically and then just yes. didn't do anything afterwards which is really a massive shame because well you know so i had to wait until a couple of years back when i went with your wife to see him doing his blues nonsense what was hilarious was the front row was basically people who looked like me <laughs> you're trying all, yeah I was like oh there they are <laughs> and I think it might have been better for me if I'd known that lots of people because I was sort of in denial um I thought it was just me and my two friends who really loved them you know mm. and it was it, it felt like a competitive thing and still now when you guys talk about it, I think no 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 but it's mine yeah, it's mine. Yeah, Why yeah. Are you there's an ownership to thing. Take away? Was, yeah. you're, you're right about the, the right being the right age because I think there's a thing with, especially when you get really obsessed with a band or a, a, a comedy act, and the worst thing to do is meet someone five years older than you that goes, yeah, they're all right. Oh God. And the answer is that they will have had their own version of that. Yes. For yes, them, exactly. five years earlier, they're going, exactly. oh, it's basically just punk done again. Goes, it's not just punk done again. It's <laughs> a different thing. Um, I am. Um, well, in fact, even madder than the the wedding ring. Thing. <laughs> Was Hang on, I, we're going madder. <laughs> I took two friends of mine who weren't into it, but I was I was fairly persuasive as a thirteen year old. I made them come to TV Centre with me when a new recording was on because I'd failed to get tickets despite my uh, yeah. my heart rending letters. Um, and we didn't see it was tragic. I sat, we sat there for three hours, like out on the street, like it was the New Year's sale. And um, oh, we God. saw the audience going in and we saw the audience coming out. But now I know, having done shows like that, I know they'll have been in in the morning and they probably, I would have had to wait till about midnight to see them leave. And I was a bit young for that. Um, but I spoke to a couple of people, audience members coming out. And, it, and one guy said, yeah, it was all right. And I honestly nearly hit him. <laughs> I really oh wanted to jump on that, claw his eyes out. How dare you can see did that you I'm get, an insane 13-year-old in dungarees. I did. Well, you, um, we, we saw the same episode. Did we? Series we three. saw the same episode three. in Series 3. Stephen Fry's birthday. I'm really mm. noticing that the audience by them, because they'd done Jeeves and Worcester, the audience was a lot of old people, yeah. which is what TV centre audiences tended to be. The ticket yeah, union would sort yeah. of give it. And they'd all turn up to watch that nice Stephen Fry and, and Hugh Laurie off the Jeeves in Worcester. Yes. And there was a sense that, I suppose, the, the exciting thing was to even them feel, and it's an odd thing to say about Fry and Laurie, that they were still yours. Because you went, oh, the old yeah. people don't like them. This is still a bit edgy. It's a bit young ones. They're still a bit naughty. They're a bit rude. And there were little gasps of shock <laughs> when they said a rude word. And you went... Oh, good. It's very odd to think of these two people who are now so establishment. Mm -hmm. One of them is like one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. One of them is uh, Brackett's National Treasure, yeah. uh, BAFTA's speech lovey, that they were still a bit punky and weird. Yeah, I actually, what, one of the things I really like about them, though, is that they weren't particularly, well, they were never cool. Yeah, and I and I I have a slight horror of comedy being cool. You know that comedy should be outsider nerds. You know, and I think they are sometimes. They they. I mean, Rick Mail probably was never uncool. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think he was ever a, a nerd, but he's a, a special case. Generally, it's the awkward outsiders and Fry and Laurie, particularly because they're so you know well spoken. They were establishment figures. Yeah. really early on. Stephen Fry is someone who I imagine at the age of eighteen was forty six. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, he's tweed jackets. He knows the names of different sorts of suit. Exactly, mm. despite her, you know being a, 
an old lag. By the time he, he yeah went to Cambridge, he'd already been to prison. Yeah. And he doesn't give that impression, apart from no. the bent nose. He doesn't look like a, an ex-com. No. And you get the feeling maybe he's passing within the establishment. He's, there's a rebellious streak in him. Yeah. That, and again, that and that's what I love language. about them, is that they are totally on the inside, but they're also, distra- you know, as you say, they're really rude and uh, irreverent and very political occasionally. At the time, I remember thinking, God, these guys are being really, really sharp satirically. The way that they were getting at the weird vagueness of the major government, you know, with the sort of traffic cones hotline and things like that and all well, these yeah. very very grown up charter marks and things like that you know well, the fir- it the was first very the, good it was very sharp the first yeah. sketch of the pilot is the privatised police force thing yes. hello I'm Oliver mm-hmm. uh, where uh, apart from the great gag of Stephen Fry having stupid trousers on is mainly about that Thatcherite desire yeah. to dismantle pu- the public sector and replace it with, with private enterprise. And I I was watching it thinking there's, there's a savagery straight away. You go, they don't wait to have the confidence to do a, a sketch about, I think that the, the current government is bullshit. They do it straight away. But part of, you won- part of me wondered, watching it again last night, are they angry with the government for being politically evil or are they angry with the misuse of language? And I think the fact that they're such lovers of words mm-hmm. that the first thing they go for, yes, there is a proper kernel of rage in there against business speak and and the privatisation and the cutting up of, of our society just for the sake of money. But some of it is just they're angry because they're not very precise uses of language. They're furious with the vagueness of the words. The lovely is higher priority and the gorgeous is A1 top priority. We put all our team onto it, field and creative, and that also includes a full waxing and valeting of your car on recovery. Safe. <laughs> Obviously, Peter, the gorgeous is a more expensive service. Look, I don't want to sound stupid, but I get back to England, I find my car's been stolen... Peter, you've been away. Did you perhaps miss the privatisation of the police force? (laughs) This is now a branch office of Brit Law PLC. Would you like to fill out a form? Out of form, fill out of form, fill in a form. Has everyone suddenly turned American? Oh, I think the source of anger originally is that these people aren't using language very well. <laughs> well, they do, I mean, yeah, they definitely have an fill obsession. Fill out a form, with... fill out a form. It's fill in a form. You're, yes, oh, right, that's in the, the Americanisation being... thing. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're furious Upcoming. with the privatisation of public yeah. space, but also you're genuinely furious with the fact they don't use words properly. And it's go, OK, you've got a mastery of language and you understand language and the weighting of language is important to you. And whenever you read a, a quick summary of what is a bit of Fry and Laurie, the answer is, oh, it was a very verbal, very intellectual thing. But part of it is just they're furious that people misuse language because they use language so well there's um the the language sketch i love i love that sketch but actually i think the funniest bit in it is hugh laurie gurning to the camera you know when the, the point where he's been summing up you know every when Stephen Fry goes off on one at the end of every little speech yeah hugh laurie says we're talking about words or, you know in that sort of challenge thing and then the, the the final time where the camera just comes to him and he goes Phew. hello we're talking about language <laughs> I can um, illustrate my point. Let me at least try. Is our language, English, capable? Is English capable of sustaining demagoguery? Demagoguery? Demagoguery. And by demagoguery you mean? By demagoguery I mean demagoguery. I thought so. I mean... Uh... That's where they're brilliant because I think that people get bogged down in the whole verbal. Oh, it's very verbal. It's very mm. verbal. Yes, it is verbal, but actually it's got it's got much more than that. The... There's good clowning in it. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Just yeah. so much clowning. a very good physical clown. The number of times that a punchline is a literal punchline. They run out of words... And yeah, then they, they punch you because yeah. they know Hugh will take the fall really well. That well. really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, f- fuck the sketch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but and, but actually, Stephen Fry dancing is yeah. one, you know Stephen Fry's dancer size and him playing Michael Jackson. Same it's episode. Incredibly Same funny. Episode I know. That. I know. Uh, amazing. You get two treats of him moving awkwardly. <laughs> It's what you do if you're a very verbal, very intellectual performer, is if someone says to you, well, can you do something physical? He's doing exactly what John Cleese did in Silly Walks and then sort of resented for years going, well, I'm a verbal, cerebral comedian. Yeah, but you're really funny when yeah. you move. But Stephen Fry, I think, is really enjoying. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I get the feeling he's sort of egged on by his friend. You know, I mean, actually, I feel like the whole series while I'm watching it, I think these two just want to make each other laugh, and that, you know, that that chemistry. Yeah, they're best friends. I mean, if you told me that they fell out, I honestly would be heartbroken yeah. because I feel like that chemistry that they have, that it's it's for each other. Rewatching, I thought, what is it about this that I liked? Apart from the fact I know it off by heart and its DNA is in everything I write. I think what you're watching is something which is rare now, which is pure nonsense. It's what you get with Rick and Aid in Bottom. It's mm. what you get with Vic and Bob. They're just enjoying each other's company. They're making each other laugh. Unusually for a sketch show at the time, this uh, the, John Cantor and... Uh, the production team would all come from Mel and Griff from, from Smith and Jones which had big writing teams that's two mm. friends with a big writing team writing for them this is two friends writing for each other and there's no one's come between them and getting to the screen and you're watching this bubbling nonsense that it's a little private language they've got that they're they're like sort of wolf children raised together they've got a thing they can, they, they're in <laughs> yeah. tune with each other and all you want to do when you're watching it is there's two things you want one you want to see them carrying on you want to keep I want to get into this bath of bubbling nonsense and just submerge myself in it it doesn't make any sense it doesn't matter and the other thing you're watching is friends you're watching mm. best friends and you want to be their best friend and you want to join in it's the, but you know serious. what that language conversation going back to that I am um, nerdy enough and I went on to do a philosophy degree uh, sort of more by accident than design but I had I heard a was lot it, of conversations so like he would that. be your friend <laughs> no he did anthropology oh, actually right. well, yeah, okay. <laughs> and he didn't learn very much either so um he was rowing but no but what's interesting about that is that that I'm nerdy enough that watching that language conversation I'm interested in the points that Stephen Fry yes. is making <laughs> I was watching that and thinking oh that is interesting yes what are what are language yeah. capabilities etc also has that sentence um, hold the newsreader's nose squarely, squarely. or friendly well, milk will come to my, my trousers. trousers. Has that sentence that. been said before? And you sort of go, well, no, I no, bet it hasn't. hasn't. But as we've just proved, a lot since. Yes. You know, <laughs> which is one of the amazing things about I love it. That that that's 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 amazing. Exactly. That was like, <laughs> exactly. It's the most unlikely catchphrase. The last time, time I've been with more than one person saying the same thing at the same time mm -hmm. was probably when I was doing prayers at school. You know this like the Lord's Prayer. They do sound like prayers, though, don't they? Yeah, that sort of meaningless sentence. Well, they've got the rhythm of... I mean, one of the things that they're brilliant at, which is, again, it goes back to the... the that's why I'm saying it's a bubbling pot, cauldron of nonsense, is that they've got that Lewis Carroll thing of, A, questioning authority by taking gibberish and pouring it into the mouths of authority figures, which is all that Alice in Wonderland is. They've got a great... That's a great British nonsense tradition, which they do brilliantly, but they do it by understanding the rhythms of the real thing. So they know what management speak sounds like. They know what a political speech sounds like. They know that when they do that lovely thing where Stephen Fry's behind the little podium doing 
teaching the young people of day not mm. to break into my bloody car. Mm-hmm. That that sounds like a political speech, even though the content of it reveals the venality and selfishness of, of a pl- politician. But they're doing it by pouring nonsense into it and they understand the rhythms of the Bible, liturgical yeah. speech. They've learned all these, same as the Pythons yeah. did, from teachers at school and vicars. They've heard the establishment. Good ears, good yeah. ears. Yeah, really good. Basically, the plain and simple purpose of education must be to teach children, young people, not, I repeat, not to break into my car. <laughs> there will be other aspects to education, I'm sure. But the most fundamental principle of decent, civilised behaviour is don't break into my car. But I also think that they have a, a, a thing where they're saying... They're not pretending they're not clever, yes. but they're saying, isn't it silly to be clever? Isn't it, you know, well, that's isn't what it ridiculous being is. clever? They're yeah. laughing at how over-clever they're being and how mm. ridiculous this sounds when you talk like this. And there's a certain sort of amount of English self-deprecation. Oh, I'm sorry for being intellectual. Oh, it's ridiculous that we're this clever. I don't think in France or Denmark that would be a reaction to prodigious talent. Yes, um, yeah, it's a but very I suspect they're not, they're not funny as well in France or Denmark, <laughs> are they, probably? <laughs> I don't know. But it's, it, there's something intrinsically middle class about them going, oh, oh, piss and nonsense. And you go, actually, no, you're really clever. This is These are fireworks of, of verbal dexterity. And you're sort of going, oh, but it's all really silly at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that sort of self-deprecating thing is, is part of what makes it... I mean, I would say that a bit of Fran Laurie is a middle class howl. It's a howl at the ludicrousness of all of, all of this. And that is an honourable tradition. David Nobbs did it in Reggie Perrin. It's what the good life is. There is a, mid, a tradition of middle-class howls going, is this all we do with the brains we've got? We, we shout at each other about leisure businesses in Utoxeter. There's a, there's a frustration that's in, that's in a lot of great British middle-class comedy, and they are absolutely the top of this. But I wonder whether they are also, I mean, in fact, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that they both go, oh God, is this what we did with our <laughs> talents? You know, is this, and I know Hugh Laurie, you know, suffers massive guilt about it. You know, his his Twitter bio is um, actor, writer, musician, like the world needs more of those. Oh God. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And it's um, dark, isn't it? It's really dark, but he, he, I think he is very dark. And I think, mm. I suspect he's all, you know, his father's a, was a doctor I, I can't you know yeah they come from that tradition of well what are you going to do with your brains you know and the yeah. fact that they've done something so silly and in my in my view and, and I, I don't know about you but I have struggled with it a bit I sort of think yeah. sometimes I should you know do something proper but at the same time <laughs> this was the thing that I, I'm so happy to be working in comedy because this was my number one passion for so long the yeah. fact that i get to work in it the fact that i got to play jeffrey palmer's girlfriend in something <laughs> is insane <laughs> but 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 what's an amazing amazing honor and when i do when i try to get myself out of that i should be doing something proper feeling what i think is i'm i'm doing that for other people you know <laughs> oh my god mm-hmm. i sound like such a wanker i don't i don't quite mean it like that but yeah if anyone else is getting, you know, and, and I know that people laugh at my stuff because I've done done it in front of an audience mm. and I can hear them. And that joy is unparalleled. I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, it's amazing to be a part of it. I think so. we're in the same place, aren't we? Because they were, when you and I met and started writing, they were probably the biggest influence on us yes, at the time, weren't 100%. they? And I think the first few things we wrote together, the first thing we wrote, I think, was about Tiger Spore, I seem to remember. Okay. Um, but it, it, was, it was very much us trying to be Fry and Laurie, mm-hmm. you know. 
which that's a pretty high bar as well. So well done us. Um, but, but they, they, they're, your, they're your Elvis. They're the thing you copied. And yeah. I think what I what I got from them, and you mentioned this earlier on, I think it's where it, it plugs into the, the Hugh Laurie, am I wasting my time doing this? At a point where I might have gone into advertising, Mm-hmm. At a point when I might you have gone, you didn't really, did you? Oh, it was my that was my work experience. That was the natural thing. I was at art college, and I was that was the natural thing. I was visual and verbal, so the obvious thing was yeah. going to copywriting. I went and met people in advertising. That was going to be my job. Yeah. Um, and I looked at that, and Fran Laurie had made that seem so ludicrous. <laughs> they had taken all the jobs I might go and do <laughs> as a, a, a clever kid with with good exam grades, and they'd done that brilliant thing. They rewired my brain not only about comedy but about the world that was being set up as normal, especially by that Thatcher and major government that had said there is no value apart from monetary value. Mm-hmm. Those free marketeers, they did a thing that was a little bit like I imagine it would be if you got into the Manic Street Preachers when you were 13. And you went, no, the businessman in suit and tie. But because they were not rebels, they were very conformist. So I went, oh, even the people who might do these jobs think this is ludicrous. And there was a what was the brilliant sketch with the uh, Do You Believe in Market Forces? <laughs> The question is this, either you believe in market forces or you don't. Ah, well, I can help you there because I don't. (laughs) You don't? No, no, I don't believe in market forces. I used to, of course, when I was a child, but like everybody else, yes, I can still remember the exact day I found out it. It was a Christmas Eve and I couldn't (laughs) sleep and I crept downstairs and I heard my, you know, parents, they, they, they were talking and arguing and laughing about market forces and saying how they were going to have to break it to me one day. came as a bit of a blow, as you can imagine. (laughs) Two years later, I discovered that Father Christmas didn't exist either. (laughs) Didn't exist? You're kidding! I remember watching that sketch, the news news agent tobacconist one as well. Yes, the credulous git, Mr. (laughs) Your openness to received ideas. And you go, this is a great thing. And all they're doing is they're being, say, 10 years older than me, 15 years older than me. Mm -hmm. They've thought this thing through that a lot of the ideas you take as on trust are received ideas. You've just taken them on board. At a moment when I was just about ready, the perfect age to rebel against your parents and rebel against what you've been told Mm -hmm. to do by your school, by your careers advisor. And they seem to be quite clever people saying... This is bullshit, isn't it? Mm. And I think that changed what I was going to do with my life. And wow. As in, I don't think I could revelation. take it seriously again. And I think they did that. And I go, that's why doing comedy is good. Because sometimes it can rewire. All you're doing is looking at the world from a two-degree angle and saying, you sure? You'll be telling me that cholesterol isn't bad for you next. What's cholesterol? <laughs> well, you know. It- yes, I know perfectly well, but I don't suppose you'd even heard of it until about five years ago, had you? You'd die without the stuff. Uh, yes, but too much is bad for you. But of course too much is bad for you. Too much of anything is bad for you, you blithering twat. And they were really good at going, you sure? Mm. I think what they're, almost what they're best at is saying don't take yourself too seriously in anything. I don't yes. think that they do it as writer-performers even as well, but as, as human beings, the idea that you would, whatever you do, you know, choose to believe that that is more important than anything else. You, go, you need to undercut that, otherwise... Yeah, yeah, Where yeah. Are you? It's very that's true. What, that's what the troubleshooter sketches are about. The ones, the damn Marjorie. Yeah. They're just saying well, if you take your job this seriously, which was in not only in business at the time, but it was also in dramatizations of business, like in Howard's Way and yeah, yeah. and triangle things, where people were always going, "Damn it, Peter!" Is that that stuff? You go, oh, that's taken seriously in drama. I could grow up thinking that that the the boards can go to hell is an yeah. adult way to behave. Look when, out there, what do you see? What is this, some kind of game? Look in, John. Tell me what you see. I see a car park. <laughs> well, that's funny, John, because you know the last time you looked out of that window, you saw an idea. Don't you remember? Yes, I remember thinking that would be a good place to put a car park. <laughs> <laughs> 
There are 40,000 people out there. Really? really? What do what they, they want? want? <laughs> and, and all that is, again, all that is, is, is that's at the level of, it's really, you can see the way they write. And the way they write is a good, as a, as a technical way of writing, it's a good way of doing it. And they used to write not in the pace and type way, which a lot of people do mm-hmm. in a duo, where one of you thinks of ideas and one of you writes them down. Or one of you paces up and down thinking of mad ideas and John Cleese types it all up. They did a thing where they, they'd get to a point where they got stuck on a line and pass it on. Like, mm-hmm. you know, consequences, you fold the piece of paper over. What comes next? So there's a lot of writing a line and then thinking, does that line make sense? And passing to the person, the other person going, there's 40,000 people out there. Yeah. Really, what do they want? It's passing it on. It's a really good game of throwing the ball to each other. Mm. And when they couldn't get any further with it, they'd turn that into a vox pop. That would just be a one-liner they do yeah. to, to speed their sketches up. But because of that, they are always questioning language. So when there's a phrase you've heard a million times in a boardroom drama, they will question it or throw back because they passed the ball to their colleague and the colleague's gone, actually, and I love that. It means you're constantly questioning the meaning of words and the sense of words and the assumption that this makes sense. I also think, um, you know, talking about not having catchphrases, which they didn't. I mean, damn it, John and sort of Tony and control. They're not, not catchphrases. But actually, I think one of the things that I loved about it was you would talk to your friends in that style mm. for a, for a, yeah. a while, which is, um, which is unusual and different, I think, from just doing the yeah, but no, but, you know, it, yeah. it, well, I think, uh, I, you know, I felt like it was a bit classier than that, than that well, sort in, of thing. Inventing a voice is that brilliant thing that you get from like Bill and Ted or from uh, or from Heathers or something, mm. where you go, you've got a mode of speaking. With Nan and I does that. It's got its own yeah. richness yeah. of vocabulary that suddenly you adopt. That fantastic thing that happens in the playground where a new comedian comes out who talks a certain way. And I think for was it a year after Eddie Izzard, yeah, no comedian could yeah, yeah. could help but talk in that rhythm. Mm. And Fran Laurie have got that. They've got a rhythm, a bubbling, which I think eventually sort of <laughs> drifted into self-parody with sort of Steve. Mm. You watched in the first, in the pilot episode, Stephen Fry does a sketch, which is just him saying, oh, fluffy most, and most pink fluffy and, and marvellous and, and wonderful. Yeah. And you go, oh, this eventually became your thing you parody when you do a BAFTA speech. And yeah. it stopped feeling like an astonishing... I mean, one of the things that you forget is they looked weird. Yeah. And this world was weird, and the words were weird. Hip, loca belly, why me, why me, why me, popular custol fencer fighter. Stisterhar bar barbulan katrotti. Weethelfwisk. Bubbling, burbling, str- vocabulary, Vivian Stanchel-inspired nonsense. Mm. What's interesting, though, is that I think it... I don't know about you, but I felt I feel like it's aged really well. Yes. Like, when I was watching it, yes. I was thinking, God, this does not look dated. Occasionally, there'll be a reference, you know, Virginia Bottomley. I'd completely <laughs> forgotten about Virginia Bottomley. What a, what a relief um, that was. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, but I was actually thinking, God, I wish Virginia Bottomley and John Major were around now. They'd grown be, ups, they? were much happier with that. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's really... It, it's, it's properly... Timeless, you know, and actually reading the sketches, a lot of the time I noticed at the top it just says Stephen and Hugh are somewhere. Mm. You know, Stephen and Hugh are sitting somewhere and didn't matter where it was. What mattered was the the two of them and what they were saying and what they were doing. Their minds. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, actually in the way that Jeeves and Worcester is timeless, even though it's a sort of, it looks very specific. It looks yeah. like the 20s. It's not real. It's a, you know, it's a... Well, Woodhouse is still no... writing those into the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And he hadn't it's moved just it a, on it's at all. It's just a little, it's just a little world. It's a classic world. But I feel like Fry and Laurie did that in their, um They've yeah, got a right bubble universe. The got, there's, there's a really nice thing about it, which I, I think has been, uh, it's, it's a thing that has been lost and it'd be lovely to have back, which is when you dip into this world, the only thing that matters is that Stephen and Hugh are in it. Yeah. It's one of the things that went wrong with the fourth series. 100%. Guest stars. They, they create a little bubble universe. All that matters is there's a black psych behind them. It's what Pete and Dad did. It looks like not yeah. only, but also. So when they put on a hat, they are a pilot. 
and it's not done with that sort of League of Gentlemen, Little Britain level of makeup and realism. This isn't a real world. This is a world, this is a mental world. So you, when you read the script, the script written down, they just say, yes, yeah, Stephen and Hugh are sitting. Mm. And I think that most sketch groups that came afterwards would get into the prosthetics and the look and the feel and the realism and the fun there is to be had in making a, a comic world feel really real. And they yeah, say, the- this isn't real, but it, there's more realism in it, in the mental state and the characters, than there would be if we spent the whole day dressing up. One of my um, bet noirs is uh, sketch shows when they get a bigger budget <laughs> and they and they ruin themselves by, you know, by doing too much, <clears throat> too much prosthetics or get it, you know, doing the bit like the little Britons go more and more gross out, more and more sort of yeah. tricks and big colours and go, well, actually, I don't, I'm not interested fashion. in that. League of Gentlemen, when they used to do their stage shows, you know, when they did... Um, going to say Crockett and Tubbs. Uh, and Tubbs. <laughs> yeah, they did it with sellotape. They did their yeah. noses with, yeah. with, with tape. And I sort of, um, and, and to be fair, they did it. I, I wouldn't criticise the way it looked because no. it looked amazing and was, you know, but it was a fashion. It was a fashion in making it very but realistic. But they don't, yeah, but I, yes, exactly. Um, and they don't need it, you know, and Fry and Laurie certainly don't need it. So, yeah, when, they, when it came to having brilliant comic actors, you know, the people they had as their guests were, should have been, you know, they're the best people. Yeah. You've got to Imelda Staunton and Kevin McNally. Want, and... I don't want to see them doing their words. I want to see. Just no, it's Stephen actually. Well, there was, there was a really weird change of register, wasn't there, when someone else did what was a Fry and Laurie script? Yes. It felt Horrible. quite wrong. <laughs> yes. didn't yeah, it? really wrong. And they've, you know, they're going for it. They're doing yeah. it. Yeah. No one's doing, doing a bad right, job. No. But I think th- those words and that rhythm, you're in a bubble universe that is defined by their brains and their use of language. And you can't give that to someone else because you start thinking, have they gone mad? Yeah. Actually, actually yeah, yeah. Are they taking the piss Honourable exception. Honourable exception there is that EastEnders one that Imelda oh, Staunton yeah, does, which um, is just fucking yeah, sensational. It's amazing, yeah. But Clive Mantle's very funny in it as yes, well. Yes, yes. Yeah, really, yes. yeah, you're right. Well, actually, yeah, exactly. Some of the individual a, sketches, you think, OK, you could have brought in, you know, if you need other that's people a pastiche. In this, that's fine. That feels a bit like Victoria Wood has seen on TV. Mm-hmm. And you know, the point with that is you can then say, you've seen EastEnders do that. Because you're trying to echo, you could have done a bigger version of their magnificent neighbour sketch from the pilot, which is one of my oh, favourite yes. bits of oh, writing yeah. ever. God. Where you could have given those lines to anyone, and they would work because they were yes. such a good yeah, yeah, echo yeah. of of, of neighbours. By the way, how are Javelina and Trevlin these days? <laughs> Jings, mate, don't reopen old wounds. Was I doing that, Craig? Was I reopening old wounds, old sores? Certainly were. Listen, Shane, a word to the wise: if you want to re-establish your relationship with those two. You've got to stop running away from yourself. <laughs> Jeez, mate, don't you think I know that? Don't you think I've tried not running away from myself? <laughs> Seems like every time I look out the window, there I go, herring down the street. I, I love their delight in, in shit telly. These really yeah, clever people yeah, who are obsessed yeah. with countdown and, and going for gold. I'm actually, do you know the? Um, I would pay a lot of money for the uh, the jumper that says "twat" on it. <laughs> if anyone knows where, that, where that has got to, Steve Steen wore it. I think. That's yes, right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I wonder if he was given it, but sketch. I would absolutely. That is my number one piece of comedy memorabilia that I would like. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. Thank you. 
Yeah, and the nice thing about something like the Doctor Tobacconist sketch, which is was always my favourite, mm. yes. um, is that it's going, you're not thinking. I'm going to point out to you that you haven't thought about yeah. this. You're not you're thinking about this. And, and So the subtext of that is, for fuck's sake, think. You wouldn't think. know what a pair of lungs did unless someone had told you. It's that. Yeah. Cholesterol's yeah. good for you. It's just, oh, God, I love that. I found that. That was an intellectually invigorating sketch to hear. I don't think, and this might sound really thick, I don't think I'd thought those things mm. before someone put them to my ears. And I think it's one of the things that is incredibly valuable about sketch shows. Because sketch shows very often, the best sketch shows that I liked growing up are ideas-based. Yes. They're not character-based or performer-based or situation-based. They are just ideas-based. You do the sketch because you've had an idea and the idea will support three minutes, four minutes of thought. And that, if you're about 13 to 17 and you hear it, that's when you're ready to have your brain rewired yeah. by a series of ideas. And it won't be rewired by a, by a sitcom. It might be rewired by stand-up. George Carlin or Bill Hicks might rewire yeah, your brain. Yeah, uh, But I think the sketch show here sits between sitcom, character performance, acting and stand-up yeah. and is a place you can put ideas. And if the, even if the idea is as simple as Fry and Laurie's some of this is gibberish, don't respect it. That's a dynamite idea to give to teenagers. I think sketch shows do form teenagers' brains. You see it. We, we argued this for ages trying to get a sketch show away for telly. Where we said that whenever we went onto an internet forum, eventually at some point when someone was arguing about something, they'd say, it's just like that sketch in and put a link up to a YouTube sketch from Mitchell and Webb. So it'd be Mark Evans's homeopathic NHS sketch. is yeah. a really good argument. Yeah. And I said, we're going to lose these. When you lose sketch shows, you're going to lose the ability to point really succinctly to two minutes of good, funny material that makes a really good point. Yeah. It's very valuable. Like the thing with, um, what would you replace Mrs Thatcher with? That yeah, one, well, was... where he just produces a coat hanger from yeah. between the uh, sofa cushions and goes, that, there you go, that's it. <laughs> yeah, because they are such establishment figures. They're, so, you know, they're well-spoken, tall, they're nice boys. White, white boys, yeah. Um, you sort of, it, it was it was more exciting than that. And it was almost more exciting that they that wasn't suddenly about, a, um, you know, verbally dexterous thing. You sort of think, oh, what's this going to be? Yeah. And it's a, it's a hanger, and then they move on. The product should be half-baked at an immoderate temperature of the lowest common denominator in an atmosphere of greasy cant and corrupt sleaze until richly dishonoured and seared with shame. Your modern Britain will ideally by now have lost all colour, flavour and fizz and should be then divided against itself and left in shoddy disrepair for a number of years until it rots before being sold off to the highest bidder. Their love of bathos, I realise, yes. was one of, one of the big, big things for me that I, you know, in all, all, all of my just general comedy, I don't even mean in yeah. you know, the stuff that I've done. They've got a high starting life. point to jump from, always, yeah. because they are, they're tall and their establishment, they're respectable, they're sort of head boy, head of the team material. Yeah. And they go down to... the One of my favourite sketches is there where they, 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 they can't do the sex and violence sketch because William Rees-Mogg, a name from the past, has yeah. said they can't do it. And, and they perform Bitch Mother Come Like My Bottom by Lord <laughs> Rees-Mogg, which is his sketch. And just that fantastic line. You go, this is rude. and But you've put Lord Rees-Mogg in it. So you you've done... As Stephen Fry said, what all you're doing in a sketch show is you're dressing up as the teachers. There is, yeah. there's, a, there's a childish impulse to guy your headmaster, to, to mock them. And they are, I think, probably even better than Python at that, at dressing up as generals and then doing swear words. And Mr you, Nipple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. N-I-P-P-L hyphen E. <laughs> yeah. Nipple. Because they love languages. Well, there's always an extra joke. 
and an extra joke is might be at the level of a, a name, my Ottoman nodge will yep. be enough of a joke to get you through to the next <laughs> laugh. The Prime Minister of Fragrance, Ottoman nodge. <laughs> You're laughing at Ottoman nodge by the time the next joke. That like we've had lots of letters sketch oh, where God. all the stupid yeah. names. Peter, come in my ear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, ten pounds on its way to you, Mister. Come in my ear. I think it's the only one they repeat, and it's so worth it. It's a sort of casual Did I throwaway. Hear that? Yeah. To come in my ear. <laughs> and <laughs> um, also they were they were such a good lesson to me because i didn't realize I, I went to see a lot of i mean everything when i was when i was young you know sort of age 14 15 before i was allowed in pubs and when i didn't have any money i went to tv recordings um i was on that i was on that list because i wanted to get uh to Brian Laurie and I saw a lot of other I went to see Rang my Lord I went to see Russ Abbott's Madhouse Learn um, your craft <laughs> but the thing that Brian Laurie did best than anyone was if there was a retake they would do more Yes. They would want new yes. laughs. It wasn't yes. just like, oh, shall I just do that, but more perfect? They would. Do you remember the, um, oh, balls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. bookshop yeah. sketch. Yeah. And he would, by the end of it, and I think it's someone that went out, he was going, oh, balls! <laughs> and he did not do that on the first take. You yeah. know, but he, he knew to get the, the audience to laugh properly again. So they weren't, they easily could have done that again exactly the same and put in a laugh yes. you know the, the the correct laugh level yeah. afterwards and they 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 didn't they really really worked hard and they wanted that audience's genuine laughter every time what reader are you supposed to imagine this reader as well are you no no that's you it's addressed to you the reader of the book oh balls <laughs> she couldn't know me you just told me the stupid tart died in 1855 John Cantor said, for the, who's the script editor for him, uh, said that they delivered 153 sketches for the first series. Yeah. And I'm thinking there's probably eight or nine sketches a show. So that's two, three times as many as you need. They worked really hard. And when you went to those, those recordings, the one we went to see, they recorded loads of sketches that never went out, yeah. that had been done with film. Tony and Control in Space. In Space, I know, yeah. and that's not in the Star new book. Trek, not, no, actually, we should mention the book. Um, yeah, Soupy, Soupy Twists. Twists um, by oh. Jem Roberts. Um, and Jem says there is an entire series worth of unused material. So they were fucking oh, seriously and profligate, uh, weren't uh, they? Is they? Are they going to release all of it? Well, he sent... I got I some a, of it. yeah. On an email, and one of the, I mean, like the very first line is uh, at the top of the first sketch is, is just a stage direction. Stephen is reading the daily sketch, I'm afraid, <laughs> which is lovely. And like yeah. the second or third thing in here is Tony and Control, where Tony is now a taxi driver in London and Control gets into yes. his taxi. Yes, I've got, that is in the book. Yeah. That is in the book. If you're, in, if you're listening to this because you're a big Brian Laurie fan, go and get that book because yes. there extra is, um, yeah, really, really good extra material. Yeah, I mean, I love the, the number of jokes that are in in the um, stage directions which is great yeah. the, uh, when when I used to when I was in a double act all of our scripts had at the end of them um, the audience shits itself and limps home <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you an actor's secret here uh, most of us don't read the stage directions uh, you don't read the big writing what? you only read that so what? because um, that's not your bit <laughs> that's not my bit I'm looking for my bit <laughs> Um, no, but uh, is so if they swear, yeah, it's true. I'm afraid. Um, when uh, when my husband and Danny Robbins were writing uh, We Are History, they they put they got Marcus to be naked and uh, wear a leotard in different episodes, <laughs> just by putting it in the stage directions, knowing that he would never read them. So really? it was only when they got, when they got to filming, he's like, "What's going on 
<laughs> it did say, Marcus, we did say. <laughs> My thoughts exactly, Control. The joy of this, the, a bit of front row, is they're enjoying themselves. They've written little notes to themselves to say, do you remember we had fun writing this? I like that. It puts a uh, humour in the DNA of the thing that in you the, can't help. In the it. book, there is a sketch that Stephen Fry sent to Hugh Laurie on a day that Hugh Laurie was ill, and Stephen Fry was was writing sketches, but just nothing came. He sent him a sketch based on the fact that he hadn't written oh. a sketch, which is very sweet. Though we're talking <laughs> of books, talking of, of Soupy Twist and that, that book, the the sketchbooks, which you brought your mm-hmm. copy in. I mean, they, they were sacred texts. There are so many copies of them. I think me and my wife brought our own copies when <laughs> we got married. That's a conflated thing. We have several copies around the house. But those sketchbooks, which it wasn't, there weren't a lot of, I think they came out before the Monty Python sketchbooks came out. You could buy Roger Wilmot's No More Curried Eggs for Me or whatever, the, mm. the compilation of, of John Cleese sketches and old sketches. Oh, Muriel Volstranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I yeah. think it was a huge thing that Fry and Laurie published their sketches in books for you to read with lots of extra added value, great jokes in the, the picture captions yeah, that really yeah. made me laugh. You could pour over the sketches, see how they were made and enjoy them again, but also see just how a sketch was written. Because I remember wanting to be a, a comedy writer and looking for published books of scripts and you could read the Hitchhiker's book had come out and the Goon Show scripts you could get and some Mira Norden you could get my dad used to read Goon Show scripts to us as a bedtime bedtime story (laughs) what a brilliant dad yeah yeah it explains a lot (laughs) yeah Whoever it was who published their scripts, Methuen. they became. I, I mean, whichever sketch group published their script. Oh, I see. They, Sorry, it, it put <laughs> them up in your, your in your estimation because you went, "Oh, great! You're taking the back off the clock." And one of the mm. lovely things about Fry and Laurie, not only do they publish their script books, within the show, they do jokes about writing. So that there's that great thing in the pilot. Would well, would you like to be a comedy writer? Yes. We cunningly yes. left the sketch without a, and you go. Even Python didn't turn to you and say, "We're writing this." Yeah. Very often, a couple of times, Eric created a sketch. There'd be a line <laughs> in it yeah, yeah. that would say, "We're writers." But Fry and Laurie are always the backs off the clock. They break the fourth wall. The opening shot is across the audience with the booms and the cameras. They're on set. They they are making the show for you. You're invited in, but also you're invited into the writing room and they'll stop a sketch with a, Christ, you're ugly. We said we wouldn't oh, do God, that one. Oh, God, I love like that it. so much. I, forgot, I had forgotten about that when I watched and it's, that. Like, oh, they'll wow. open a sketch. No, we said, do you remember? I didn't like it. I didn't it. like it. Lonnie, you're ugly. <laughs> no. Um, we're not... Um, we're not doing that one. <laughs> no. If, if you remember, I didn't like it. <laughs> well, that, was, well, that was quite funny, that one. Yes. Yes, we'll be doing this one instead. Right. Right. <laughs> Lovely bit of acting, yeah, that, isn't so it? That's th- yeah, his, uh, his total believability but they're as showing... an actor is, is so helpful. Yeah. But they're showing <laughs> you into the writing room. And again, if you are a teenager, you're adoring Hugh Laurie, you want to be friends with him, I want to be friends with him, <laughs> I, want to be, I want to be in the writing room. And they go, oh, come in, we're typing mm. today. And you can see them typing. Well, it, but it's interesting you say that because they did not let anyone else in, you know. Oh, no. very, no, and, no, no. and that's sort that's sort of the joy of it as well. Clark. You know, um, in uh, in an old episode of Rule of Three, uh, John <laughs> Finnemore talking about his sketch show and saying the good thing about being the only writer, I mean, it has driven him insane. He's yeah. insane. Uh, but... But the good thing about it is that he doesn't need to have any rules. I mean, he's got so, yeah. he's he's obviously got rules about you know what he won't do. and yeah. 
but it's all his voice and that's the thing with with Fry yes. and Laurie it's yeah. a real it's a mishmash of stuff in a way you know that as you say like there is political stuff there's stuff that is just purely verbal there's there's some stuff which is purely slapstick as well almost yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's all them it's all their voice yes. so they don't have to worry you know and if they had the team of writers if they had really yes. invited people like you in uh, yeah. to, to their writing yeah, room, they wouldn't it would be it would be different well Roger Aldis well, showed it, that when he when he made a suggestion they looked at him like going, no no we've no, got this yeah. it's something actually I think is unique about that Footlights thing I remember talking to uh, David and Rob Mitchell and Webb about this and they said that one of the things about Footlights is you might want to come in and be a writer you're not allowed to be a writer you've got to be a writer performer because that's oh, that's really? the, the apprenticeship you you don't get to right. just be a writer and I think that there's that thing of going we're a little autonomous unit you, same as you get with Python or the goodies we do all this and so if you are the, the director of the show and you come and say, I've got an idea about this, they look at you going, well, we've never had to have anyone tell us how to do it before. Yeah. And there's a real sense of going, we've got this bit, you make sure that the hats are in the hat box and the lights right, are on yeah, yeah. and this gets broadcast. But otherwise, we are just a little... And that gives it its voice. The thing that you would have struggled to get away now, I think, even if you did get a sketch show of this sort of way, sort of deliberately verbal intellectual sketch show, someone would be saying, would be checking it over and giving suggestions because that's how comedy is made now. Mm-hmm. And I think the moment you don't you ask a question, the moment you interrogate nonsense, it falls apart. The most important thing with nonsense is to have a script editor like John Cantor or like Charlie Higson with Vic and Bob, who just says, "Trust these guys." And says, "You can't burst this bubble. This bubble contains these guys and only these guys, and they know what they're doing." That's a very hard thing to suggest to with limited comedy slots that these two men should be allowed to do what the hell they like. I wonder whether that wasn't their idea to have guests it on wasn't. the series. Having oh. just read Soupy Twist, I can tell you, it was it, not their Bob's idea. Bob doesn't surprise me. Um, no, and they weren't, it's not that they were anti it particularly, they, they just hadn't occurred to them, and I think it probably hadn't occurred to them because it wasn't really right, but they said, <laughs> oh, you know, they said, you know, we've got the budget to have other people in this, would you Would you like that? And they were like, oh, well, yes, okay, then we'll do that. There's a voice that they can do, and no one else can do it, and it just sounds wrong coming out of someone else. And they'd survive very well with just the two of them, and what the third actor Deborah Deborah Norton, Deborah oh, Norton. Deborah Norton who I wanted great, to be yeah she? and she was she was brought in because she's a bit older than than them um she was brought in as a, like a safe pair of hands in that first oh we're well, doing the, doing the hand exercises in the in the is oh. it the first it's the first she series is, isn't it yeah, oh it's she is wonderful uh, yeah she's awesome I don't know why she, in fact I can't remember if I if I do know why she didn't do it. she only did the first series I think she chose not to go on but there's oh, the way she says counterblast oh god that is she's when she says Ted so counterblast. brilliant and she does the, the offhand that you know in that when they want to kill the chicken yes. <laughs> and she's just sort of muttering to herself mm. very very um, audibly but it's an absolutely perfect she's brilliant university she ways because may I say that I find your continued efforts to drag down and smear this country of ours to be frankly disgusting <laughs> I'm not trying to smear and drag down anybody I suppose you'd rather read books about England losing at cricket than winning wouldn't you well yes if it's true then I feel sorry for you. He's a knocker, that's what he is. I agree with you, Mrs. Pert. Oh, it's very easy to knock, isn't it, you, with your snide university ways? Snide university? Or wherever it is you went. That sketch as well is one... I remember I put a link to that sketch, which is the, the, the going to the library to get the book of West Indies and Nation of Cricketers and finding that all of it's been cut out apart yes. from the bits about England winning. You do wonder what they would have made of Nigel Farage and oh, the God. rise of Little Englandism. Because they've got a lovely love-hate attitude with Englishness and Britishness, yes. which means that I think a lot of the audience, the slightly older audience who came to see them, were happy to watch them do sketches about cricket and libraries mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. women's institutes and things. 
but they don't really like it. There's that brilliant sketch where there's the two commentators go, creamy old England, the gobbledygum roll. England and cream. Creamy old England. Custard cream. Strawberries and cream. Strawberries. English cream. Creamy England. Cream. Cream of old England. Oh, 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 o
but Stephen Fry found found all sorts of different registers apart from the moist, mm-hmm. fluffy pink thing. Yeah. One of my favourite lines in it because it's just so blunt. I love bluntness sometimes. Mm, yes. Is that one where he's sitting in a hammock and he says, um, "Yesterday was my birthday. I won't tell you which because I hate you." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are almost my favourite yeah. things. That um, yeah, that that unexpected. And the Vox Pops, fucking oh, hell, God. that was a great little formula, wasn't yes, it? Yes, and do you know what's funny about this Vox Pops is that lots of them aren't jokes at all. No, they're no. just phrases. They're just they're, they're just these characters who you completely believe, even when there's you know they're little old ladies are six foot five with, yeah, <laughs> with yeah. no wrinkles. Um, they're tiny, tiny character sketches. They're a line that won't go anywhere. They're a, and they give you the feeling maybe that, that a lot of their sketches are built out of a line that suddenly blossomed into a bigger sketch. Oh, well, they yes. are, aren't they? Because um, there's, you know, the episode in which there's a guy in the audience who keeps claiming that he wrote that yes. material. There's a lovely one there where Hugh Laurie, as a policeman, knocks on some woman's door and says, um, Mrs. Stevenson, or wherever it is, and she says, yes. She says, can I come in? And she says, well, of course you can, dear. It's your house. And the bloke at the bloke in the audience goes, I, uh, I wrote that. That's mine, that is. In the sketchbooks, that's the beginning of a whole sketch. There's a three-page right. sketch coming really? off. Snapped yeah. it off. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't believe I'm hearing this. What the hell happened to the old John? We pulled it down when we built the car park. <laughs> One of the things you can do with a sketch show that you can't do with a sitcom is to spring constant surprise because you can break the reality of a sketch because it's only going to last th- three minutes, two minutes. So you can you can suddenly say, oh, the, suddenly the sketch isn't about uh, uh, a doctor's appointment. It's about wigs. It's about the, the the fakeness of writing. And you can shift gear, which means that even though their sketches might be four minutes long, there are three mini sketches within it. Yeah. So you're constantly being surprised. I really miss that on television. N- not knowing what's coming next in the next second is mm. what you get from a sketch show because it might be a turn of phrase, a silly name. Uh, suddenly the sketch might turn left and be about something completely different or it might stop and there be a vox pop. I really miss that machine gun rhythm of ideas mm-hmm. that even my favourite sitcoms and things you don't get you relax back into the world and the mood and the characters and the yeah. story and sometimes I want to come home and just be bombarded with thought well that's why we need to be thankful that we have got John Finnemore and we have got The Pin who I think are the other people oh, amazing. Who, who are along the same line as yeah. Brian Laurie and uh... but it's a strange thing to, to abandon uh, as we sort of go even even my, there are sketch shows on TV but a lot of them are uh, satirical or they're you're not going to have them bust constantly bust their own rules and again it's something you get by saying the two guys write this two guys perform it no one's in the way they can break their own rules constantly and i think a script editor or a more diligent script editor will say sorry you can't do that you can't break the fourth wall here actually mm-hmm. you've got a great sketch here don't break it guys yeah, yeah can you yeah, get to the finish of the idea about the, the policeman yeah. thing and you, I, sometimes i don't want to sometimes i'm i'm happy with the first two ideas that, I've heard. that that amazing bit in the in the middle of the strom sketch in which everyone goes off to take a breather to consult your superiors um including love Lovely Joe Unwin, um, and the camera stays there on the set, and eventually the the, the whole thing starts to run to captions saying, "Well, yeah. I suppose rooms spend a lot of their time being unoccupied, don't they?" And then the camera goes to have a wander around the set, and there's a naked man walks past. They've got they've rung so many changes on this yeah. sketch, and this yeah, was just yeah. a language sketch because two minutes a, ago. Nothing can bust it because the point is the bubble universe it's in is is Fry and Laurie, and I love that sense of chaotic ideas wrangling while you know someone's in control. Yeah, because I suppose, because sketches do, um, I, I suppose now, what with the internet and everything, um, it's standalone sketches that happen a lot, you know, things go viral yeah. and whatever, but you're right yeah. that actually, you know, just having having a whole half hour, and, and then, you know, now, you can go on Netflix and watch every single one yes. back to back, that is something really special, and you sort of grow 
well, I suppose, you know, we're back to being a 13-year-old trying to form your identity. Um, I grew to, to love them. I don't think I did immediately mm. love it. I remember recording one episode because I was sort of, I don't know, I, I'm going out, but uh, I was recording an episode and then watching <laughs> that over and over again and it wasn't until the second series that I began to record it obsessively because yeah, then yeah. it was part yeah. of me. You know, yeah. for a while it was like, oh, I'm sort of, yeah, I'm enjoying this. And then speaking to someone at school and going, did you see that? And, you know, someone says control and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, learning, learning by watching these these people and watching them inside their own heads and inviting yeah. us in. You remember it because it's crafted and there's a weight to the words and the syllables that is catchy. And they, they are as catchy as song lyrics. So the gibberish sister, Ha Ha Barbie Land, is a catchy... I mean, it sounds like... Catrotty, weasel whisk. Yeah, but it's, it sounds like it's a Bar 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 Baran. It's got the same rhythm as a pop yeah. song. So you find that, that they're in your soul, even if you go, I don't even know why I've remembered that. But it's yeah. a way of talking and a way of thinking that celebrates just repetition and rhythm and sound and the joy of words. I and what of the people? <laughs> Tony of Plymouth. Tony of Plymouth. In a lightweight so travelling hat. And so on. And so on. And so on. I am. Um, I was out last night, and someone mentioned Lincolnshire, and I had to stop myself from saying, "Well, <laughs> Lincolnshire is flat. flat, flat Stu, Stu, it's not but always." I say, but I wouldn't say it's flat. <laughs> And I've no idea yielding. if uh, yeah. And so on. Tying your identity to comedy is something that doesn't get talked about. People talk about tying their identity and their tribal nature mm-hmm. to uh, youth cults or goth or being, bros, a bit, a yeah. Bit, yeah, being a brossette, being a take that. That, that your identity at a very, very malleable time is made by the message of bands and the, the image of bands mm-hmm. and things. But it's just as easily to do with comedy. And I think the thing that I found... I, I think all of us in this room, I think my brain was made by this series. And I look at it and I wanted, I'd watched it, I tried to find a critical angle on it. After a while I went, no, it's just brilliant. What yeah. it said about politics and the country and Englishness and Britishness and being middle class and being... It's still depressingly relevant. It's all really, really good. <laughs> the, the only thing I could think of was that their disdain for work comes from some people who probably wouldn't have to do it. I thought... Once you become independently wealthy from writing me and my girl, you probably don't have to go to those offices or those conferences with those name badges on. And I think I took it as an incredibly empowering message. Again, it's like Python. Their lives otherwise would have been going to pharmacy conferences and legal conferences. They've, They've escaped and they've sort of said, quick, over here, through this tunnel, out. Because this is bullshit. But I think I, I think it's it's very much possible to be in that world. Like my dad was an accountant, you yeah. know, like the the most joke yes. um, uh, occupation there is. And in some ways, he's very, you know he's Martin Bryce in. Yeah. Um, but he was also the man who read me Goon Show scripts yeah. mm-hmm. uh, at, at bedtime. I feel like you can do that as long as you don't take it too seriously. But yeah, they are lucky that they that we didn't think that you know that they didn't tip over into smug to the point where we were yeah. like oh no hang on you're just taking the piss out of us and yeah you are incredibly yeah. entitled and <laughs> you know you are yeah you never have to work again neither of them have had, ever had to do a proper yeah. job yeah i think we've only got one felching pen left is it happens <laughs> uh, got some flotting pencils there. <laughs> well, well you know the thrush plate 
Yeah? Yeah. Well, you can use the frothing pencil on that. You see, rude to the lookout valve on the thump spoke. <laughs> cut out the felching altogether, provided you remember to rim the satchel arm properly. <laughs> Are you enjoying Hugh Laurie's arms at that point? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> I enjoy Hugh Laurie's everything at all times. Remember, his name was sellotaped to your hand. <laughs> I also cut his name out of the... I mean, I cut his name out of the Radio Times every week that it was in there. And I had, um, as well as 99, and it annoyed me that I never got to 100, but I had 99 pictures of him on my wall, along with lots of other comedy people as well, and a lot of sellotapes. 99 pictures of mm-hmm. Hugh Laurie? Mainly, um, I'd take, yeah... The same photo over and over again because <laughs> it was uh, uh, the play he was in was advertised in Time Out everywhere. I mean, it was it, it was stupid, um, insane. I um, I should I should uh, people aren't going to speak to me after this. Um, I, I right. So I wrote him ten letters and I did not keep copies of those letters because even then I knew I would be embarrassed. Right. By reading mm. what they what they said later. Self aware so, enough. Yeah, just no. just self aware enough. I mean, I, you know, I, I am obsessed. I'm, you may have noticed I'm obsessive. I'm obsessive about many, many things, but this was just the peak, peak obsession. This and then the wonder stuff. But we mustn't get on to the wonder stuff because I know you, you have strong opinions about um, about the violin and the wonder stuff. So I, I can't should talk do. To I think you. that's yeah, why we're wrong. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk and about. you're all wrong. Yeah. Uh, that's that was the fiddly diddly stuff that you wanted. <laughs> There's a, there's a yearning, like a proper fan girl, fanboy thing about going. I want to be in this gang. Yes. This gang looks yeah, amazing. That's exactly Can what I it be? Was. Because what you're watching is something which, again, is magic. It's lightning in a bottle that is really hard to to, to restage. Which is you are watching friends. You're watching some best friends do something they want to do, mm-hmm. and that is so thrilling when they're allowed to do it that it creates a, a, a very enviable dynamic that you go can I, can I be part of this or can I watch it yeah. and it's what the Beatles had you're watching fr- four best friends have yeah. the best time yeah and I think yeah. I didn't I mean I didn't want to be in their gang but I certainly wanted to be in the gang that was writing sketch comedy yeah, yeah. that was that was the gang I yeah. wanted to be in and this programme showed me that in spades I thought fuck I want to do that yeah, I yeah, want yeah. To do if that. that's possible then I'm doing that yeah it's it's got a it's really strange for it to, to talk about something which is done by these two people and say it's like punk which is the least punk no, thing that's ever happened. Punk, yeah. And yet, weirdly, you go, it makes you feel, I want to do that, which is the whole point of punk. And it makes you feel that I want to tell everyone else to fuck off and just be in my little gang. All that stuff's in there. But my, parents, if- my parents weren't into it. I don't think they disliked really? it. I can't remember them passing an opinion, except, oh my God, are you watching this again? You know? Uh, <laughs> and, that, yes, and that's, I again, am. it was mine. It was mine. Whereas yeah. Yeah. Python had been Someone else's. theirs. You know, yeah, yeah they, they'd sort of you choose your thing. shown it's, me that. And yeah, this was my new thing. It's empowering and exciting. And I think people forget that. And it's very easy to forget it because it's passed into the establishment, the people involved mm-hmm. are passed into mm-hmm. the establishment. The, the, the voice has become... I had to say, I was oh, disappointed that Hugh Laurie became the biggest star in the world yes. you know like, what no no he's it's mine then he's not yours anymore <laughs> no. is he no he's i have worked this out i promise i've worked this out so have you still got plans to somehow get access no to he's one own? of the very few heroes that i've had that i haven't come close to to sort of you know meeting slash working with i'd only want to work with him i don't want to be brought onto set to because i will just be silent and you know yeah. go back into a 15 year old mode but john finnamore worked with him recently really which was yeah yeah difficult <laughs> really i may not be doing the next series <laughs> there was a there was a bit in, in john fenimore's souvenir program i um there, there was a bit where he said uh, he thought it'd be funny if we all came up with our own souvenir program that we wanted to do that we were constantly pitching to yes. john and i said 
Um, I'd like to do a show where all of my favourite people come on and interview me. Um, and, 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 so, and the two names that I chose were Malala and Hugh Laurie. So that has actually gone out on Radio 4. So maybe one day Hugh Laurie will come and interview me. That's what the a, dream. What a dream. In the meantime, you've had to put up with our schmoes. Yeah. But thank you for bringing this on. Absolute pleasure. Because it's absolutely fantastic. And so are you. Thank you very much, <laughs> Margaret Cable Smith. Thank you. Soupy twist. Soupy twist. <laughs>